Well, good morning, church family. My name is Randy. I'm the preaching minister here at Windsor Road Christian Church. If this is your first Sunday here, and we're going to talk about worry today. All right? So let me pray, and then we'll uh, get to work. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Your mercies are new every morning, and we love you so much. We are here to make much of you. And we are here to be amazed at your greatness and your splendor and your majesty. Lord, feed us. Our souls are hungry. Give us your word, your truth. Your word is our life. I pray for clarity now. I pray as always to just step away so that what you want heard gets heard, so that we will be the people you want us to be, to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Someone once said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its troubles, it only empties today of its strength. So what is it you're worried about? What's on your worry radar? Well, this morning I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about uh, worry. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. Second book in the Bible. It's on page 51 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a, a copy of your own Bible in the pouch in front of you, there should be a copy that looks like this and... Uh, If you don't have your own copy, period, just take this, put your name in it, and take it home as our gift to you. And this is such a great passage of Scripture that talks about worry. Um, The word worry does not show up in this chapter. That said, a tree is known by its fruit. And so I'm going to read portions of Exodus 16. Uh, Verses 2 through 5 and 27 to 35, page 51 of your church Bibles. It's also up on the screen. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you 
bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna. What's that? What's an omer? It's a measure, it's a specific amount. Think half gallon, okay, half gallon. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony. That would be a location there in the tabernacle. A place called the testimony. That it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Exodus 16. This is God's word. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, you know, if I could only connect with the people in God's word, if I could only find a way to connect with the folks that lived back then. Well, whenever you worry, you do. Okay? Whenever we worry, worry is a link that just connects us with the people throughout all of history and in the history of the Bible. And this morning, as we look through these verses in Exodus chapter 16, I just want to answer three questions, all right? Three questions. The first question is this. What what do we do when we worry? What does worry look like in our lives? These verses inform us as to what about what the fruit of worry is. The second question is this, what does God do when we worry? That is to say, what's, how does God eradicate worry from our lives? What do we do? What does God do? And then the third question is this, what does God want to do through us in a world of worry. That's my favorite part of this message, so I can't wait to get there to share what that is. So that's where we're going today. What do, what, what, what do we do when we worry? What does God do when we worry? What does God want to do through us in a world of worry? All right? Now, now before I start into this, let me just recognize three guests who are in our worship service today. We typically don't do that at Windsor Road, but I just want to call them out by name, all right? I want you to meet them, see who they are. I want to introduce, I want to introduce Larry, Harry, and Gary today. Larry, Larry, laid-back Larry is here today. Laid-back Larry. Laid-back Larry comes and he sits in the worship center and the comfortable cushy seat and he hears the preacher get up to talk about worry and laid back Larry is just yeah 
yeah, I mean, that's his relative, Alfred E. Newman, you know. What? Me worry? <laughs> laid back Larry. Laid back Larry is so laid back, he needs a defibrillator to get him going in the morning. That's what he needs. Laid back Larry is just so, you know, his, his operative word is whatever. Okay, whatever. And he's a source of frustration because he's always late. And, and, and the stuff that he does, his work just doesn't quite, you know, meet up to the stand because he's just kind of so laid back and whatever and so when laid back Larry comes into a room like this to hear a message from a preacher like me he's like yeah I'm doing it I'm glad you're here Larry hmm? well then there's hyperventilation Harry and hyperventilation Harry shows up and, and hyperventilation Harry I mean the preacher gets up and uses the word worry and, and all of a sudden you know he's got to he's got to breathe into a brown bag or something because he's just he's just so I mean he's worried about work and he's worried about finances and he's worried about whether he's going to get his kids through college and he's just and he worries about worry and I'm glad Harry is here today and he needs a word here from Exodus 16. And then there's Get a Life Gary. Get a Life Gary has a noisy cell phone. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry, was my mouth moving? <laughs> That actually came out, didn't it? That's it. Oh, man. Yeah, I lost another one. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, there's Get a Life Gary, all right? Oh, this is kind of serious because Get a Life Gary, um, and he's got a PhD that he's working on. And he's got like two more semesters left. And uh, this past week, his wife, who is their primary breadwinner, came home and said, I have cancer. And the doctor said it's malignant. And they have two kids. And get a life, Gary comes in and hears someone like me talking about worry. And says, I don't know what world you live in, preacher, with your soft hands and your starched button-down collar shirt, but in my world, I mean, you, there, there's some things that you ought to worry about, you know. And like uh, my family, my wife, finishing up my education so I can get the job that I had been envisioning. This is why we moved here to this community, been here all these years, and now, just as the finish line is inside, it's like it's being taken away, you know. And I'm glad, I'm glad that Gary's here too. And, and I guess what I want to say to Gary is that um, sometimes the things that we think are worry really aren't worry because, uh, you know, life is intense. And in the Bible, the Christian life is often depicted as a race or a boxing match and intensity and pressures of fulfilling your responsibility and doing what needs to be done and the 
rigor that comes with that, well, that's not worry. That's life. That's life. So then what is worry? Well, that's, that's why we've turned to Exodus chapter 16 because that's our first question. What does worry look like? And in verse 2 it says, In the desert, the whole community in the desert, what were they doing in the desert? Well, they were in the desert because God had led them into the desert. You see, six weeks before this, the entire nation of Israel had been liberated from you know, 400 years of Egyptian slavery. All you need to do is just glance at page 50 in your church Bibles and you can see the dramatic way that God's power had rescued his people. And, and by parting the Red Sea and in a dramatic way before the very eyes of his people, God destroyed the Egyptian military power. In chapter 14... Verse 31 says, And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And there's a connection, by the way, between feared the Lord and put their trust in him. We want to know what does the fear of the Lord look like? Well, this tells us to fear the Lord is to trust the Lord, to depend upon the Lord, to lean on the Lord, to follow the Lord. That's where we're going here in this section of scripture and that just happened 45 days before Exodus chapter 16 verse 2 and in Exodus 16 verse 2 it says in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron and if you want to know whether or not you're a worrier just listen to what's coming out of your mouth because one of the fruits of worry, what do we do when we worry? Worriers grumble. Worriers whine. Worriers murmur. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when the mouth speaks, whining, grumbling, murmuring, typically what's in the heart is a heart of worry. That's not all. Because you see, when someone who is a worrier finds himself or herself whining or murmuring, then exaggeration is not far. Look at verse 3. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Nuh-uh. <laughs> they did not they sit around with pots of meat. No, they didn't. They were slaves. Slaves didn't eat meat, the Egyptian aristocracy. They were the meat eaters feasting on an all-you-can-eat banquet as if you were in a rural antebellum plantation in Georgia. Not hardly. No. No, but you see, their murmuring and grumbling then became exaggerating. The fact of the matter is, the Egyptians made God's people's lives extremely bitter. Chapter 1 tells us this in Exodus, that God's people were ruthlessly used. Furthermore, furthermore, in Exodus chapter 16, 
God's people already had plenty of food to eat. They, they weren't starving. They weren't. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, makes it quite clear that when they left Egypt, there were large droves of livestock and flocks and herds and dough and cakes and breads. I mean, but isn't that, isn't that what takes place when we have a heart of worry? We just tend to exaggerate the good old days. They weren't that good. But you see, if they had plenty of food, then... Why were they so concerned about the future? Well, that's what worry does. That's what worry does. I love these quotes about worry. Worry has the ability to envision the future in minute, gory details. In scenarios that just get worse and worse and worse. Which is why some people really ought to put warning labels on their imagination. Someone has called worry a certifiable false prophet. Worry is a visionary minus the optimism. And worry is a time traveler. A time traveler that leapfrogs from yesterday to tomorrow, from the past to the future, but never at worry never ever stays in the present. Why? Because there's no power in the present. That's why. The, the, the here and now, the present for the worrier is, is, like, is like kryptonite to the so-called Superman-sized powers of worry. No wonder someone once said that worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's trouble. And so we have this heart of complaining, we have this heart of exaggerating, and what worse, that's not the worst of it, the worst of it is that worry produces Accusing. Look at verse 3. Warriors accuse God's leaders. You have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So the Israelites don't trust their leaders. They don't trust their God-appointed leaders. And ultimately, it's because they don't trust God. They have, they have made a vote of no confidence against God. And that's why Moses said in Chapter 16, verse 8, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. Which, by the way, um, if you're in leadership, uh, this is a very important point to remember, especially if you deal with, uh, you know, kind of in the customer service department and you're in leadership here. I want you to listen to this uh, brief paragraph by an author uh, named Seth Godin. Seth Godin writes, just because someone is angry doesn't mean they're right. Just because someone is angry doesn't even mean they're well-informed. Hmm? Something to think about when dealing with people. It, it's easy to assume that vivid emotions spring from the truth, right? So you're at the customer service desk and someone comes up and they're just mad. And they're just venting. It's easy to assume that they're right, but they're not. They may not be. They may just be ill-informed. They may just be full of fear and confusion and worry and well-told stories. And that's what's going on with Israel here. 
from a heart of worry. They're complaining. They're exaggerating. They're accusing God. Why? They've just changed the entire story. They've, been, they've changed the entire narrative. The, in, instead of Hebrew worshipers, they're just Hebrew atheists. No one can help. We're all by ourselves. No one's looking out for us. We're all just orphans here. You know, you've brought us out here to let us starve in the desert. And, but is that true? Is that reality? Huh? Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. It says, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. What cloud? The cloud. Not a cloud. The cloud. The same cloud that appeared in Exodus chapter 14 appears in Exodus chapter 16. The same cloud representing the same God who had not six weeks before dramatically rescued his people and brought Egypt down to its knees. This was the same God. The same God that was leading them through the Red Sea. Nothing's changed. God has not gone a wall. Question. Where in your life do you find yourself showing a vote of no confidence in the God who delivers? Where? And where does that show up in terms of your words? In terms of complaining? In terms of grumbling, in terms of murmuring, in terms of accusing, in terms of exaggerating. Where? And, I mean, no wonder Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus says, you know, be very careful about this creature called worry. I mean, according to Jesus, worry, worry is inward focused. Worry prefers self-protection over trust. Worry can even hear many encouraging words, even God's words, and stay unmoved. Worry can be life-dominating. Worry, worry is connected to your cash. And worry can reveal what you love and worry can reveal that you love something more than you love Jesus and worry can elbow Jesus out of your heart. That's how serious it is, according to Jesus. It's not just a little thing. This is what we do when we worry, okay? So what are you worried about? Be careful, Jesus says. Well, there's a better question than what do we do. <laughs> better question is what does God do? What's God do when we worry? Oh, well, here, this is what we're going to find out. Chapter 16, verse 9. Moses says to the Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Uh-oh. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. But, but, but I, want you to, I want you to see that, you know, it's not as if the Israelites found which of God's buttons to push. And then he responded, no, no. God hears us not because of the quality of our prayers. God hears us because he is the God who hears. 
And when God hears, that means God's going to act. He's going to do something. And what does he do? Well, when we worry, here's what he does. He says, it's time to go to school. It's time to enroll in school. And that's what we see. That's what verse 6 is about. I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. That's what God's going to do. And the instructions in Exodus 16 were just really clear. Days 1 through 5, I want you to go out to the desert from your camp. And I'm going to bring down bread from heaven. And on days 1 through 5, I want you to gather all that you need for the day. And do this before noon because it's going to, sun's going to melt it off. You go out there and you get bread from heaven. Manna. Manna is a Hebrew word meaning what is it? It's what is it food? God provides. Days one through five. Just get what you need. Get what you need for the day. All right? No more, no less. On day six, this part two of the test. On day six, I want you to get twice as much as you need. Get twice as much as you need. Get some for that day and the next day. All right? And why? Because, part three, on day seven, the bread store is closed. That's the test. I will test them, and I want you to do this as a community. So it's not like God says, okay, go out into the desert and loot it. I want you to do it together. I want you to do it as a community. You get what you need and I want you to share it. This is not just all out for yourself. They were to go out as, a, as an entire family. And, and I want you to get about a half a gallon's worth of manna per person. And do this by noon. And on day six, get twice as much as you need. And day seven, you see what's going on here? God is... Testing his people by giving them. He's testing by giving. Sometimes we think God tests by taking away. But here, God tests by giving. He gives them provisions and he gives them time. He gives them time. There was no other civilization in history on the face of the earth that celebrated a ceasing, a Sabbath, before the Hebrew people. It just did not exist. Before, before the Hebrew people were called as a nation, all of the other civilizations, it was just a 24-7 culture. But here, God gives the gift of provisions and the gift of time. And this is so significant because Israel... Israel had left Egypt and the surrounding nations uh, with their pagan religious systems basically constituted worship as a worshiper comes and they bring bread to their God to appease the God, to feed the God. But here it's just the opposite, not here. In these verses, Israel is introduced to the God who feeds them. I don't need your food, God. God says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to, you don't feed me, I feed you. And God's provision has boundaries. God's grace is free, but it's not a free for all. 
And there are consequences if you stray outside the boundaries. And God's people discovered what those consequences were. Because, you know, they went out there on days one through five and, and they gathered and they tasted This tastes pretty good. We're going to make sure we get some. Well, we better make sure we get some for tomorrow too. Because, you know, well, they did. And look what happened in verse 20. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning and it was full of maggots. And it began to smell. And Moses was angry with him, you know. And then others of them on, you know, day seven says, well, it just showed up the last six days. Come on, let's go on out here. It'll be okay. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. You see, it's the test. It's the test. Why didn't they obey? Oh, you know why. Because it's easier to get Israel out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of Israel. See, life in Egypt was ruthless. And there was, the pressure to perform was on, right? You had to meet your quota. No work, no eat. And all, of it, all Israel knew for 400 years was make bricks. That's it. That's all they knew. And it was a terrible, lousy, rotten, hard life. But it was predictable. It was certain. And at, one, at times they wondered, is this all there is? But it was the only thing they knew. And so they did the only thing they knew. But now you're in the wilderness. And you got a new king. And you're going to have to depend on that king. And will that king come through? Will that king show up? What's going to happen? And you see what's going on here? God's testing them. But not in the way that your professor tests you in class. Because when my professor tested me in class, the purpose of the testing was to get, to kick me out of school. That's the purpose of tests. To expel you. You know, and they, you will either be expelled with a degree or without a degree. One or the other, you see. And so the test either qualifies you or disqualifies you. But that's not the purpose of this test. See, God is not like a professor. He's your heavenly father. And he's trying to teach you. And what he's teaching his people is that you will never, ever defeat worry by getting more of what you already have. You can only defeat worry by getting what you don't have. And that's God. And God's lesson to his people is clear To his people then and now. I'm training you to depend upon me every day of your life. I'm training you so that you will know that you do not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. That's the point. Daily dependence on God. That's why he didn't supply their need in bulk. That's why he didn't send them to Sam's. It was daily dependence, daily provision, daily obedience. And for that matter, that's why he didn't... You know, if God wanted to, he could have just automatically... He could have put the manna in their stomach. Wouldn't that have been something? At 7 a.m. every morning, there you are around the table like this. But then at 0700, oh, okay, we're good to go. God didn't do that. All right? Laid back Larry would like that. Larry, get out there. God's provided. You go get it. He's done what he, 
He's done what he, only he can do. Now you do what you need to do. And in the desert, in the desert, God's teaching us that... God's teaching. You see what's happening here? So often we look to God because we think that a technique is what we need. A technique. And if we just have this tech, God, God, if you just give us, God, if you'll just give me what I think I need, that will make me happier and better. And so I just say, God, you know, take care of this. And this technique will do the trick. But you see, that's, they're in the desert. It's, they're in the, this is serious. You're lost without God. You need Him. We had someone come into our office Friday. Came in the office and said, I'm looking for University Place Church. I said, This isn't it. This is Windsor Road, you know? And so, and, and well, how do you get there? And so I started to explain. And have you ever had a conversation with someone about asking you for directions? And you just, you know, just be easier if I just go with you than to try to explain it. And Fortunately, this person had one of those smartphones, and so they were able to get on and get on the map and all that, and they were fine. They didn't have smartphones in Exodus 16, and information was just not going to be enough. They needed a, they needed a person. They needed a person. The remedy was not, the remedy was not going to be text. The remedy in Exodus 16 was going to be a moment by moment daily providing from someone that you know. Um, a couple of weeks ago when Sarah and I were in Florida, we were walking down the sidewalk in Naples, seeing the shops and everything, and we came upon this. That has got to be the tallest Jesus I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> That is this huge bronze Jesus, you know. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to just kind of take that back? Where would we put that here? I don't know. (laughs) Wouldn't it even be cooler if that bronze Jesus could just kind of move and walk and talk? And if I were going out to work or going home or whatever, he was just kind of with me. And I don't think I would worry about anything. If I had a Jesus that big and that bronze, I wouldn't have any worries. I wouldn't have any worries or anxieties at all in the world. I wouldn't. Uh, Brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus has promised. He said, I will be with you always. You already have that. If you are in Christ, you already have that. And so in the desert, what we learn, we, see, we, we learn that, that what I need is not to go to Jesus for the thing I think I need, but rather I need to go to Jesus as my only need. And you see, it's in the desert that I find this out. Because it's in the desert, because Jesus is all I have in the desert. There's nothing else in the desert, but Jesus. And we learn what it means to fear the Lord in these verses. We learn that good fear is a fear that leads me to trust God and follow Him, trusting Him as my greatest need. And we live in a world that tells us to trust the things of the world. 
And Jesus says, I want you to trust me. And so we have a decision. Am I gonna walk by faith, not by sight, or not? That's the question. Jesus, my greatest need. If I were to summarize Exodus 16 in one verse, I would give you Psalm 111, verse five. That's what the psalmist does. It's the best one sentence summary of Exodus 16. Psalm 111, verse five. He provides food for those who fear him. For those who fear him. For those, that is to say, for those who follow his instructions. For those who trust him to fear the Lord. So do you hear in this series that the fear of the Lord is not so much a feeling that God wants me to feel as much as a life skill that God wants me to develop and grow and it's a life skill of faith and trust and dependence that the God, the God who provides will be there. He provides food for those who fear him. Why? Because he remembers his covenant forever. God never forgets our names. And here's the beauty of this passage. Here's the beauty. If you fail some professors, they won't let you back in their class, will they? But God, when he tests us because he is our heavenly father... What if I fail him? What if I get caught up in worry or, or grumbling or accusing? What happens then? What happens if I don't trust him? What happens if I don't trust him today? How's he going to treat me? What's, what's he say? You know what he says? We'll just come back tomorrow. There'll be man on the ground tomorrow. Okay. There will be. All right. You come back tomorrow. If, if I fail him, he forgives me. He's our heavenly father. He doesn't forget. And he doesn't want us to forget either. So, in Exodus 16, 32, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, so take a half gallon jar of that manna, and keep it for the generations to come. Now that's not going to go bad. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So here is this memorial that God's people were to keep for future generations so that every time they see the memorial they will remember God who took care of them for 40 years. And God did. And in Joshua chapter 5 verses 10, 11, and 12 when they crossed over the Jordan 40 years later this is a great passage. They celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover. See, they're, they're in the promised land. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. Unleavened bread and roasted grain. And Joshua 5.12 says, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate of the produce of Canaan. Wow. See, God, God took care of them. And he's going to take care of you. You believe that? Yeah. 
But what's so beautiful is that centuries later, centuries and centuries later, in that same promised land, God himself showed up in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And Jesus did. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They took that manna, and they put it up on a cross. But by the power of God, he was raised from the dead, never to die again. And now, God promises that what he did to Jesus, he will do to us and for us if we will but trust him. So what are you worried about, see? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? Furthermore, and this is where we get to the, to the, to the juice here. See, see, what do we do when we worry? We've talked about that. What does God do? What well, he provides. And, and ultimately he provided his son. But, but you see, God just doesn't give us manna to fill us. No. He gives us manna so that we will then, as, as heirs of the kingdom, he now, he gives us manna so that we will be manna. That's what God wants us to do wants to do through us in a world of worry. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in their turn, their plenty will supply what you need and then there will be equality. And, and then Paul quotes from Exodus 16. He who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. Through the Holy Spirit's life, in our life, we are commissioned to be manna to those in need. And that touches on our vision as a church to contagiously influence our world for Christ. God did not give you manna just so that you can feel full. God gave you manna so that having been filled, you can then be used by him to fill others. And uh, that's why the blood mobile is out here today. And that's why we're having a special offering for adopt, international adoptive parents today. That's why I was so pleased uh, to hear the update from Keith Miller at last night's uh, uh, Sanctity of Life prayer vigil. Keith is the, is the leader of the Champaign County Right to Life uh, ministry here in our community. That's why I'm encouraged about the missions trips that we're taking both stateside and internationally. That's why I, I'm so grateful about our connections with Salt and Light and food and clothing distribution and our partnership with Restoration Urban Ministry. And that's why I'm uh, excited uh, to tell you about uh, Weekend of Service, which I'll do next week. 
You see, God hasn't just filled us to fill us. He's filled us with his manna so that we can be manna. And I'll tell you, the church that is consumed about being manna to the world with what God has provided, that church is fearless. I want to join that church. Don't you?